Welcome to Love What You Do, Do What You Love podcast. I'm Celeste Wong, AKA the girl in the cafe. I'm a cafe barista, actress, hospitality specialist turned coffee, travel, and lifestyle entrepreneur. Over the years, over the counter, I've been inspired by thousands of successful, passionate, and courageous people who love what they do and do what they love. In each episode, I'll bring you an inspiring person or message to help you create a life of independence and abundance, doing what you love and loving what you do. Let's get into it. In this episode, I found out that sometimes even reluctance can't change the fate of one's career. We talk about food, social media, the disappointment of broken dreams, the importance of family and his role at work as a chef and leader. Andrew also shares how a pivotal, life-changing incident led him to food. I was super moved by his bravery to open up to me about something that he hasn't really even talked about publicly, which I guess was a fire starter in his journey with mental illness and how he has dealt with it over time and succeeded professionally despite such setbacks. You don't want to miss this episode to get into the mind of a determined person who not only creates some of the UK's most beautiful and innovative dishes, but also has a passion to help others who struggle with the ever-increasing pressures of today's society through his own experience. I really hope you get something from this episode that you can apply to your life, career, and doing what you love. This is episode six with Andrew Clark. Andrew Clark is chef director at the St. Leonard's and Brunswick House restaurants in London. If any of you have seen the food he creates, they are delectable pieces of art. After an abrupt social media hiatus at the beginning of the year, Andrew took some time to focus on his restaurants and gather some introspective. He has come back online and in life fighting being the latest recipient and winner of the Innovation Award at the Craft Guild of Chefs Awards this year and a nominee of the Estrella Dam National Restaurant of the Year Awards. It's no wonder that he is also the founder of Pilot Light Campaign, which was born out of his direct experience devoted to combating the stigma around mental health and hospitality specifically and having a profound impact. I'm so excited to get more in depth with Andrew today, so let's dive on in. Hey. Hi. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. So tell me what made you get into cooking in the first place? <clears throat> I failed all my exams at school. I didn't want to be at school. I was terrible yeah. at school. And uh, I thought my life was going to be in music. I was going to be a rock star. I was going to tour the world. Yeah. I had no, no reason to learn how to cook or do French or maths or anything. I just wanted to be a rock star and that was it. Um, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so many people say, yeah, we all did. I'm just like, not on my fucking school you yeah. didn't. Do you know what I mean? I was the only one that wanted to be that. Um, but I, I failed at school badly. And uh, there was a turning point in my life where I had to earn money because being a musician doesn't, really pay well and you can't pay bills uh, so the only thing I was actually good at was cooking I, I cooked a lot at home come from a family of just people that are generally interested in food and we grew up yeah. around restaurants so whereabouts in England well I was born and raised in Dartford so okay, the yeah. asshole of Kent <laughs> on the London Kent border really and then all my family are from like Peckham and Bermondsey so okay. South East so that was kind of my stomping ground from those two yeah. points However, yeah, so I, um, 
I didn't want to be a chef, but I had to earn money and I could cook or I had an interest in eating. So I figured I'd maybe just go to a little pizzeria and spin some pizzas, spin some dough and uh, try and earn some money to pay for my music. Right. How old were you about that age? About 19, I think, 20, 19. Okay, yeah. So I'm 41. Yeah, so about 21, 22 years I've been cooking now. Wow. Five years into it, I realised I'm kind of running one of Kent's best restaurants and thinking, actually, you know what? Yeah. You're a chef. <laughs> you know, so I accepted my fate within the kitchen. Yeah, so I was a bit reluctant. Very reluctant. And I still am from time to time. I mean, yeah. I, I, being a chef, to me, it, it doesn't... There were days when, it, you know, I loved everything about it, you know what I mean? And, um, and then kind of feel that I've adopted the chef lifestyle very well at times. But there, there has been a, a constant fight throughout my life as to, you know, do I just want to be a chef? Do I want to do other things? Am I going to be a chef forever? Or is it going to be the first part of my, you know, working life and I'll, I'll do something else later on? Um, ultimately, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, I, I love what has happened to my life within food and yeah. um, you know no two days are the same it's just so interesting uh, I, I don't have a boring desk job <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah I couldn't do a desk job I mean even sitting down as I have to do every now and then with invoices and yeah. stuff like you know I get fidgety I love having a job that is creative and I can walk around and you know play with things and you know make a big mess and just try things out and ultimately eat it at the end of the day well, that, that is the good part of what you do, <laughs> pretty much. I was just kind of thinking, like, there are a few things that sort of popped up when you were talking about it, and I was just trying to imagine you sort of going through the, the conflicting feelings mm. that it sounds like you have sometimes. Like, where do you think those <coughs> feelings come from? Interestingly, um, it, and, and a lot of it comes back to what I, I do with Pilot Light, mm. but I was having a chat with someone this morning just about you know, when people talk about mental health in kitchens and you know how, how there's a, a kind of burnout culture amongst a lot of chefs as well yeah. is that we're not always prepared for what the life in a kitchen is like and if there was a little bit more uh, mentoring in that then I think people would understand what they're getting themselves in for yeah. and not to resist it that it's actually part of a very interesting process but I think that losing out on a social life when you're in your early 20s, well, all your mates are going out and, you know, you've got to work a double on a Friday and Saturday yeah. night. Losing that social life can have a massive impact on people. And, and, and I personally think that, you know, I've been doing this 20-odd years. I'm 41 years old. I'm, I'm, now I carry on like a 21-year-old, you know what I mean? My life is so interesting. My social life is so interesting. And, you know, for a lot of my friends that, yeah, I kind of grew up with, I don't know if... You know, they, they had their interest in social life. I don't know if they've got it as interesting as mine now. And I'm not being, I'm trying not to be a dick about saying that. It's just that yeah. I think that, you know. Well, that, you do you feel like you're kind of making up for lost time a little bit? I well, mean, it's not I, even that. It's, it's just naturally happening. I, I think don't, don't worry about your social life so young. Mm. Just think that for the rest of your life, you can have a really, really interesting. Uh, I mean, food has taken me around the world. It's, you know. I've earned a lot of money, I've earned a little money, you know, and, uh, but I get job satisfaction through and through with doing what I do, do you know yeah. what I mean? Which I, I don't know if I could just being in the same kind of town or, you know, just doing something that's a bit, um, I don't know, stuck in a dead-end job kind of thing. Which, like repetitive. Yeah, yeah, which I know a few of my friends, like, 
you know, I love a lot of my old schoolmates, but a bunch of them have spoken out about it and how it's just kind of a bit dull. And they, you know, they wish, when people say, I wish I was doing what you do, it's like, that's nice to hear, but no one wished to do what I was doing when I was 20, like everyone wanted to be out. Yeah. But I think it's just changing people's understanding. Like, just don't worry about it. You, you know, your life within this industry can be so enriched and interesting. Just let, just be part of the process. Don't worry about losing a social life in your early, in, in, you know, in the early days. I think it's also really important to get your experience and to be able to like really fully embrace what you're doing. It takes time to kind of build up to whatever whatever you whatever you want to do I think it takes time right of course it is you know so many people get into hospitality in the first place as like their second job or just as something to fill in time or to earn extra money or while they're studying the restaurants and cafes they become your family and they become the people that you're influenced yeah. by <laughs> I think you know we do, we do live in a, a world where you know the grass is always greener and you know we're, we're, we're shown kind of images of a better life elsewhere but like you know really I take into account everything I've done through food and where it's taken me and I can't complain about anything I think you know my life has been so enriched for it and yeah. as much as sometimes I you know the, the long hours or you know someone not turning up to work so you have to cancel something to jump in there, there are some moments that are kind of shitty about the whole thing but I wouldn't change it still yeah. I, you know this this is this has given me a lot, this this industry. I don't think any industry has it easy, as in I don't think anybody's career is as shiny as it looks. But people don't know the struggle that you've gone through or that you Absolutely. currently go through, the day-to-day -day stuff and also the stuff that kind of happens over time. Yeah. What would you say was your biggest challenge throughout your career? Not wanting to be a chef and, you know, being quite reluctant. I think I swept under the carpet for too long the fact that I never made it in music and then it all came out with some uh, depression about four years, three or four years ago. I'd struggled with drink and drugs through my 20s in quite a heavy way and that was me kind of sweeping the fact that, you know, I didn't achieve my goal in music under the carpet. I was just like, you know... Yeah, avoiding it. Self-medicating. And then, you know, in my 30s, I kind of cleaned myself up a bit, you know, really kind of knuckled down with where I wanted to be in food by then, you know. What what made that change in, at that Just time? age, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I was in a couple of relationships where it's just like, okay, well, you know, I'd fucked around in my 20s. Now, now it's like having a, a, a nice kind of uh, flat, in a relationship, stability, that kind of mm. stuff, and then just focusing on being the best chef that I could be. And, and so trying hard, you know, it fell apart in my late 30s. And that's when I realized I was really putting my happiness in other people and not dealing with my own happiness, you know? So depression was an awful thing to go through, but it was also something that, it led me on a journey of healing something that I'd been just ignoring for so long. And you know, it does stem back to one incident in my 20s, but that what put me on the path of being a chef anyway. And just, I don't know, I, I kind of said sorry to myself for everything that had happened and just accepting what is going on and that, you know, life isn't that bad. Life has been actually quite good. And yeah, I made peace with my past. I think that's what it was. That's amazing. Because it, it takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah. Because it yeah. is pretty scary. Yes.
and I'm very, very happy where I am now. Like, making peace with my past was really good. Um, what? Just, do you mind me asking, like, what happened in your 20s? That... No, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was looking at life in prison. For uh, I teach, I used to teach Thai boxing, Muay Thai, and, you know, did a lot of martial arts since I was a kid, and I got attacked. I was minding my own business, and someone attacked me, and he came off quite bad. So it was me that was on bail for about a year before the court uh, case came around and, you know, looking at two charges of GBH that, uh, you know, one carried a life sentence, was one below attempted murder, and the minimum I could have got was three years. So, you know, at 19, 20 years old, my life was, you know, I, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do within music and... Um, and then, you know, the, the whole of my world dropped out and I, I couldn't play guitar. I just felt, I know, for the first six months, kind of physically sick every day, just not knowing where my life was going. Do you know what I mean? Am I going to get banged up for, for life? Or, you know, I just, I was very directionless. And uh, even anyone talking about it at the time, I just remember going out for a meal one time and, and someone got on the subject of it and that was it. He instantly couldn't finish my dinner. It was a horrible, gut-wrenching feeling on a daily basis. But just, you know, it was self-defense. I did what I had to do because someone attacked me. And that's, I mean, you know, I'm glad that it, the the jury and the British court system, you know, went the, the, the way we wanted it to go. But it, it could have, I don't know, just, it, it took so much of my life just being on that bail restriction for a year, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's such a major mental thing for someone so young to go through as mm. well, not only to be physically endangered, and then yeah. to also have to go through the prospect of <coughs> jail, that's very yeah. a rare thing for most people to go through and to come back from. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 How did you deal with that? Well, I, I just became very, very self-destructive in my 20s. I mean, there wasn't a drug I didn't take, really, and I was just, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd party all the time, and I, you know, I Was I there any guidance? No, um, I mean, I've had the support of this. Family were very good, friends were very good during the time of going through what I did. But by that time, you know, jump, jumping into a kitchen and I guess slowly accepting my fate within the kitchen, but at the same time just kind of partying harder and harder and harder and, you know, do taking you, everything. Do you feel like the kitchen or the industry kind of gave you some kind of security and acceptance and something to focus on? Do you think that was... I definitely, there was one or two kitchens where, or certainly one in particular that when I, by the time I got to the Swan in West Malling in Kent, that was uh, for me where I, at the changing point from working in some shitty kind of pizzerias thinking this is a, a like a, a temporary job until I got to the Swan and then it was, you know, things being bought in by the carcass or, you know, whole fish and actually doing proper butchery and and proper prep and that, like, okay, this is a level of chef, this, you know, there was some amazing... Some amazing chefs there that had come from you know various backgrounds, Marco Pierre Wyatt, and uh, and uh, being able to learn from that line of uh, technique uh, was fantastic, and and that's what m I started getting engaged with is like okay maybe there is I, I could be a chef and the team there were great so you start building that family and and I think that's what kind of <laughs> that was the acceptance that was the the, the bit that made me realise I'm I'm cool with being a chef but at the same time. That underlying monkey on your back of you didn't make it in music was where the partying really kind of started. And um, right, yeah, 
yeah. it's, there's good and bad, but um, <laughs> <laughs> every, there's good and bad with everything. Yes, pretty much. Like, but it ran side by side. It was a parallel. It was, you know, I don't know, having two things on each shoulder, like an angel and a devil, kind of. <laughs> like <laughs> 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 has that stopped <laughs> or does that Mostly, keep going I mean, look, I, yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd go out and have a, you know I, as I get older every year I get older I can't you know I slow it down I definitely do I just like having fun I like seeing friends who's out the other night for the uh, national restaurant awards and then you know when you're in the room with like so many other chefs and friends that you some you hadn't seen for ages and it's like the you know the biggest staff party yeah. so you just you know we was in meat liquor till three o'clock in the morning then back to mine and um, it was it was a lot of fun so I'm glad that I do still have you know drink drink a little bit every now and then but I wouldn't want to do that all the time I'm on day two of a hangover at the moment and it's, it's... <laughs> you're doing pretty well <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about the <coughs> National Restaurant Awards because that is a really that's a really prestigious nomination to have your restaurant is, yeah. was it for St Leonard's and Brunswick or was it uh, Brunswick think, well it's or? Jackson and myself were up for best restaurateurs so I guess that's all encompassing Brunswick uh, St Leonard's and Orissa right. how did it feel when you heard that you were nominated I mean it, it, it is that thing that kind of brings it home that you're obviously getting to to a certain point where to, the, the nomination has come through people putting us forward and um, the recognition's good I mean next year hopefully we'll win it but it's just to be amongst the kind of the the, the, the other nominees it's like okay people start taking you seriously now because there's still a part of me that does, I mean you know I have been done the chef life but there's still part of me that doesn't quite think I'm a chef so, you know part of me doesn't like really believing it yeah so it's yeah. that pinch moment like you know winning the award at the craft guild of chefs it's like wow yeah okay yeah I'm definitely a chef do you know what I mean that's amongst so many like esteemed sh- old school chefs, and to be nominated for that, I thought was very ridiculous. But then to win it was like, wow. Okay, so I can't just step away from the fact that I'm a chef, but yeah. I think so much of my life I try not to be. <laughs> <laughs> there goes that reluctance again. Well, you, I, need to, it, you need to look at that. <laughs> it, it is funny, isn't it? Because for ages I wouldn't let people call me chef in the kitchen. It's like, come on, you know, Andrew, leave it at that. I mean, definitely coming from New Zealand and Australia, where being in the service industry wasn't such a, it wasn't so looked down upon. Whereas coming and then coming over here, yeah, 13 years ago for me, it was really weird. Like the class system, you know, even saying that I worked in a cafe was really like, oh. It's funny. I mean, you we were talking earlier on uh, in a meeting again about mental health and mm. chefs, and and we were saying, you know, about people coming into the industry, and and one of the kind of narratives we have with Pilot Light at the moment is just that, you know, we're doing this because there's fewer and fewer chefs coming into the industry at the moment. And yet it's, it, it's completely nonsensical because we have such an, an interesting, diverse range of restaurants in London in the UK and they're growing, you know, there's so much tourism, there's the new restaurant opening every week and yet we're struggling to fill them with staff and we have relied on staff from uh, Europe and uh, across the globe but at the same time, you know, why would people not want to be chefs? I mean, it's a, it is an incredible career and, you know, can't stress it enough. I've travelled around the world doing what I do. I, I encourage people to come into it. It's you're going to earn good money if you you want to go the exactly. So it's a it's yeah. a really good thing. And not that life is about money, but certainly helps with a bit of security. And um, so I, I think it's a, such an interesting industry. There couldn't be more about it at the moment. Chefs are seen as these celebrities or you know rock stars, and you know, people are writing books. And there's 
TV shows, obviously restaurants. That, you know, there, there's so much that, that's glamorising the industry. Mm. It doesn't feel like you know you're just you're part of a what used to be called the service industry, that you're just there as a you know waiting on other people. I mean, it, there's so much cool about it. So yeah. everyone should jump in and stop being, I don't know, graphic designers or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had chefs that worked for me over the years, and and you know, chefs and friends, and uh, and I think when people forget my age that I've been doing it quite a while and but it, I was doing it for I was cooking in restaurants and as a head chef and running kitchens for other people for 15 years before I even thought about doing anything on my own yeah. and then I have people that come and work for me and the next minute they've got a pop-up and they want to open their restaurant I'm like mate you're absolutely crazy particularly at the moment where you know with Brexit looming <laughs> uh, you know there is a bit of uncertainty in the kind of restaurant industry and you know yeah. uh, it I wouldn't want to necessarily do anything on my own if I was starting up just now. Yeah. I'd just go and work for like, you know, the, the wealth of restaurants that are opening and just do something with them for a bit. But take as much take as much that you can from other people and working with them. Just you know, don't think that you've got to do things so quickly. I would find it very difficult to go and do something if I didn't know enough about it. And I think that's the thing. There's, yeah. there's too many people that want to do things and. Life is a nice journey of con continuously learning and sure we want to put our stamp on things as quickly as possible but complete your Jedi training before you do some of it. That is a good one. When did you know that you were a good cook, that you're a good cook? I don't know if I, I, I mean, <laughs> I think I am too, I think quite often I'm too, uh, I don't know if I've had the confidence in that to, to say, yeah, I'm good. I definitely think there are well, things you've that... you've just won, you've won awards and you've been nominated, so I think that's... Yeah, but then, you know... To say that you're <laughs> I was saying to someone the other day where, like, you know, I've won this award, but I still shop in Iceland and I'm still... <laughs> you know, there I am on Mare Street in Hackney, just in Iceland, just like, you know, <laughs> people would be ashamed of me getting some frozen faggots out of the freezer. <laughs> I know that there's something that you do as well is you kind of bring, which I think is really interesting, is you bring some retro foods into your <laughs> modern dining, and that's what I think is really cool about. Yeah, well, the there's a tradition. Now, I think you and I have bonded a bit over, you know, jelly and ice cream, and yeah. but you do it obviously in a very <coughs> amorphous way. I think it's well. I like the fact that you know, coming from a kind of working class, two working class grandparents, sets of grandparents, and being exposed to a lot of old school stuff, a lot of offal and jelly deals and things like that. I appreciate all the things that I kind of grew up with, and you know, so many chefs talk about kind of memory and the memory of taste and you know that kind of nostalgia with with uh, food and what it brings that you know the journey that you go on when you try something that reminds you of being like a kid again and I do like that I mean I, I do think I'm a very traditional cook at the heart of everything I do it's just we live in a modern world where and, and you know a, a very uh, competitive food scene now that you just want to keep pushing things forward as well. So take a traditional dish and then just try and rework it into, you know, 2019 somehow or put an ingredient that no one was expecting on there without it being kind of whack. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so that's, that's the... There's a real fine line yeah. between making it naff 
Yeah, and I don't want to do things for the sake of doing it either. Do you know what I mean? In terms of, don't just change something because you want to put your stamp on it. I mean, if it's if it's a really good traditional dish, then do that. I mean, we're lucky. We 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 have a, a very big hearth, big fireplace, and. You know, that's a very primal way of cooking. Yeah. But at the moment, it's a very modern way of cooking, which is, you know, complete, you know, oxymoron. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, then we start doing kind of dishes cooked in cast ware, buried in the coals, and you get that smoke on there. So doing tradi- traditional dishes that way, but getting the smoke is our way of saying, look, you know, it's like a smoked beef bourguignon, for instance. Yeah. So it's a very traditional dish, yeah. but a lick of smoke on it, and then that's the... And then maybe some bone marrow over the top or something, and then you, you've got your 2019 dish, right? Which isn't a modern dish at all, you know. No, no. So the other question, but I kind of feel like you might have answered it through that. That was <laughs> how do you continuously be innovative? I mean, you've just won the award for the most innovative chef. You know, how how does that? Where do you where do you draw your inspiration from? Yeah, I think a lot of it, as I said, goes back to kind of traditional things. I, I, I like to feel that a dish has a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. That if you broke a dish down, we might not even word it in a in a in that way on the menu. But for instance, we had those cowsar onions, those kind of spring onions from Catalonia, that are traditionally grilled and served with like a romanesco sauce. A romanesco sauce or romane? Oh, I can't even think. Yeah. Romesco sauce. You got to hang out. There we time. go. I'm thinking of the vegetable. <laughs> What we wanted to do is kind of batter it very, very lightly in a kind of tempura-style batter and deep-fry it once. This was back at Brunswick. And then we served it with like a little sauce of cheese and hot sauce in there as well, like a fermented chilli. Yeah. And then when you're telling someone, it's like, well, it's, it's cheese and onion, essentially. Yeah. That's what it is. So you think of, uh, you know, a pairing that works and then just rework it so it's like this really fun, crispy, deep-fried onion yeah. that you can get cheesy that with and, and has a nice fermented funk to it as well. Yeah. I don't know. It's I like playful food. I like things to be a little bit, uh, nothing taking itself too seriously. I I like reworking kind of, we've just done a pig's ear terrine, which again is kind of traditional, not done too much. You don't see it on every menu, but it's so cheap to produce. But it's like, okay, now we've got the, it it looks beautiful as well. And you shave the meat nice and thin and it's not, now we can marry up some of these lovely pickled fruits and things that we've got in the cupboard Um, and have like you know quite a fatty but thin smoked pig's ear terrine and all these like little pickles but we'll shave it we'll just rework it because we want to play with the the colors and the you know very thin slices of this textural terrine over it as well so I think it's actually I mean you know think about a terrine and some pickles that's what we're doing but we're just shaving it and tearing it up and making it look fun on the plate and so that's a very traditional dish my mouth is watering but also because (laughs) because it also sounds really delicate that's what we want to do with it right so you're you're not not, just getting a big slab of terrine with a a pickle it's just Mm. it's I don't know it's just shaving it thin and having like a big terrine salad if that makes sense yeah and it also sounds like, and from what I've seen as well, you incorporate in your dishes the use of our, all of our senses, which I'm really into, by the way. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think uh, I've always so, said to a lot of chefs, actually, that, that, that pass through our doors, that I do like to cook with colour in terms of you can see from afar, if it doesn't look right, it's not standing out, I know that it's not going to taste of anything. Right. And that so it's doesn't be balanced all, in all yeah, senses. That's the, and that's yeah. for the majority. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes I want to do a very beige dish, <laughs> and there you go, and it still tastes big. I like big flavours. I, I'm not too good with subtleties, yeah. so I do like things having a bit of a punch. But yeah, generally, I think it has to look pleasing to the eye, and then, yeah. you know, it's got to deliver the rest of it. 
You wouldn't Maybe. think that you'd be into such like delicate things with such a <laughs> big. I know, right? I, it's, it's, it's a, of a man. Well, it's also that thing where you know you, you get recognised as the meat guy, or you know, I, I do things like Meatopia, and yeah. And I don't know when I put a meat dish up on Instagram, it always gets the biggest likes. But, but you're really into your vegetables. Yeah, I don't eat much meat personally. Yeah. And it, it it does come down to the fact that I get amazing meat here. Yeah. And it's hard to get that standard of meat uh, you know there's not too many shops or retail places that will sell the kind of meat that I'm used to getting here yeah. and certainly not for the aging that we then put on them you know our meats in our meat aging fridge so I just feel that it's easier just to you know not give myself any disappointment by ordering you know, inferior meat and something yeah. that doesn't taste nice. All goes out the window when I'm drunk and I've ordered <laughs> like some cheap chicken wings, but uh, <laughs> or hungover. But yeah, generally I, I go for vegetables. It, it's easier yeah. to have around the home as well. I think they've got a greater textural range. I think the greater flavour profile than any protein anyway. So yeah. I love playing with that. You know, you cook a, a steak up simply. And it's going to taste great for the if it's good. Um, but you know, vegetables you've got to work, and then you can marry them up with like different textures. Whether you make a mash or you, you know, you mm. confit something, you child grill it, smoke it, salt bake it. You know, there's so many little things you can do with it, and that's what I like. I was going to say, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. I need to like get into that. That's why I find it so hard eating vegetables sometimes. Well, I actually just oh. shave. The simplest thing, quite often, I do is just shave stuff down and eat it raw in a salad, particularly this mm. time of year. Yeah. Just pick everything through a Japanese mandolin. I need to get one of those. Yeah, right. And be careful with it. Yeah. Always use the guard. I do want to ask you why you came off social media at the beginning of the year. Because that was quite abrupt. Yeah, well... And I was like... <gasps> <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> you know what? I think it's just because we get so wrapped up with social media sometimes. And there are things I've always recognised, again, through Pilot Light and a lot of the talks that I do. I've always mentioned about living a better life through not worrying about what goes on with social media and yet at the same time I can go down that route myself yeah. that you know you that there's there's a few things you can flick through it you go down the little Instagram wormhole and then you know then hours passed and you think wow that's an hour I'm not going to get back just looking at photos I don't really care about then there's the thing where you know I, I had a tricky start to the year with a, a, a bunch of different things and when you're seeing everyone posting their best lives it's also you know you think Right, I need to be doing that. And it's a complete yeah. fallacy. That, you know, that's not what's happening. We're all trying to put our best lives on there. But then monitoring, monitoring your own, I, I then become part of this, I become victim to that thing I talk so much about. Um, so I took myself off it for a number of reasons. I wanted to focus on just being as productive as I can, not worrying about everything else that's going on on there, concentrate on my own stuff, concentrate on my own restaurant. And there was one more thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, and this is the bit that, you know, I was trying to lose some weight. <laughs> so I was trying to put myself on a bit of a diet and not seeing a dripping cheeseburger or something like that on there was just, you know, it was a good time to not be on social media. <laughs> yeah. Put it all back on Do you now. know what? It's so nice to hear a male also be affected by the comparison, yeah. you know, dark cloud. We do, and if it's, yeah. even if it's the smallest way, we do. I mean, it's there were tough. It's been tough times for a lot of restaurants at the moment. We, you know, things are up and down. Mm. I'm, I'm forever optimistic, but um, despite what I said earlier on about you know the more and more restaurants opening, which there is, mm. there is still a lot of restaurants opening. 
there's also a lot of shutting and, it, and I think it's it's just because we're in this period of just a very unusual climate Brexit and a few other things rising rents business rates and such that said I think we all try and be as optimistic as we can to keep our places running and I think there's there's something about seeing a lot of people going to different restaurants and thinking well look you know I've got an empty dining room to buy and yeah. it does play on your mind a little bit I, that was January and I, that was January February and it was a bit tough then yeah. and things are you know much better now fortunately but I don't know it, it's that's where just putting your phone down and not concentrating on that and just concentrating on what you're actually exactly doing getting some really good yeah. food out and some real consistency yeah. that's it's made all the difference actually do you know what I mean things are happening nicely but you can't help but judge what you're doing versus other people mm, that's a good way of concentrating on your own thing actually yeah I'm too yeah. scared to <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about Pilot Light? Because you founded this. Yeah. Tell me a bit about it. What sort of instigated this idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I've publicly spoke about that enough times. There's the, the Instagram uh, post that I put up uh, for World Mental Health Day back in 2016. And I put a post up. Oh. And it, that, it, that was the catalyst for it, that I just got so much feedback and people saying, look, you've said something we can't say. And I just felt, look, to hear of a lot of my friends and, you know, people that I've worked with, to people I thought I knew, to say that they've been through the same thing and many times what worse. What was that thing? Well, just, I, I mean, I, I recognise my own personal journey through depression, something I just didn't believe in until I had it. I feel the same way, so I was going to ask you to mm. explain sort of what that feels like. We know that it exists and that you can get very down, but it's like, don't know what it really feels like. And I feel really conscious of myself to say when I'm sad or when I'm down to go, oh, I'm depressed. Because yeah. I'm not depressed. I'm just really down. So what's, what is but, the difference? And how, I don't know, like, that, is that a really dumb question? No, it isn't. Uh, I, I think it from, I can only say, everything I say is always from a personal experience and everyone has a different... Um, experience with depression and other mental health issues. Mm. For me, I felt that I used to go to India. I still go to India. Away when I'm out there amongst kind of you know in Mumbai, as a, as many cities, but you you can see some extreme poverty, and still people just going about their business like with smiles on their faces, and then you come over here back to London, and you know there's people with kind of everything, you know. A roof over your head, running water, drinking water, eating, and you know all these things, and and you know we've got a, a decent life, and then to hear people kind of moaning about that, I'd be like, well, this is just kind of Westerners just bitching about their lives, and and, and I'd be part of that. I would also moan about stuff, you know, yeah. still do. Um, so that's why going to India was for me was always a very humbling experience that I could just get a bit of perspective on life. But that's what it was. So I, I didn't believe in depression at the time because it was just, you know, what we what have you got to moan about? That said, when I got depression, I was like, wow, this is this is uh, this is what it is. You know, it's it's uh, debilitating and uh, you can't do anything. You have no direction. You have no desires, no nothing. Like, nothing makes you happy. There's no emotion, there's no love, there's nothing. It's, an, it's a complete void within your body and your, your soul. To get out of it, you, to get out of it, there are ways, but you need to find that hook. And for me, I was suicidal, so, you know, I kind of wanted just to end it. And um, when I kind of opened up to my uh, my dad in particular, mm. you know, to see 
my dad in tears was like, I just felt that I can't pass this pain on to anyone else. I've got to own this. And I'm not saying anyone that does end their life, it's a selfish thing. It's just for me, I, I just couldn't. What the, everything I was going through at the time, I, I would felt a lot worse knowing I would be passing that on to someone if I did. So that was the catalyst for me to get out of that hole. And now I didn't know where I wanted to be, I just knew I didn't want to be there. And then that was it. So, I, you know, I got a lot of various help, you know, whether it be, oh, you know, I went to see a few doctors, I got some hypnotherapy. I, I had stopped drinking and therefore doing any other substances. And, and that meant that I had no crutch. So it wasn't like I could just go out and get wasted and forget about it, I couldn't. I had to deal with it. It was very, very real. You got some control. Yes, it really helped me fast track it a bit, just because that you know I wasn't that there wasn't anything else. I I couldn't clear my head of a night of drinking, knowing actually that would make me feel a hundred times worse the next day. It was just look, just deal with this every day. I worked a lot. I worked like a hundred hour weeks just to have something to do. If I was at home, then I don't know if I'd be here right now. But I was at work constantly, just so I I had something else going through my mind. Yeah having a list of things. <clears throat> and it's not an easy thing to do either. I mean, just getting out of bed to go to work is debilitating for a lot of people, you know, that suffer with depression. But I felt that there was just part of me that was like, no, I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna do this. Part of me started to think, well, maybe it's not gonna be forever. Maybe, you know, don't fuck up anything that's going on now because, you, you know, this might last a few months, it might last a year, whatever, but try and have something for the end of it. So that was the driving force, really, not wanting to pass it on, just wanting to get out of there. There was a really interesting quote I read at the time as well, and an old Winston Churchill quote, I think it was, but it was like, when you're going through hell, keep going. And that was just, I think I put that on my phone for a while, that it was just like, you've just got to just keep fucking doing this because... You'll never know about the other side mm. if you just sit there and wallow in it. Because it must be so hard to have that realisation because the first thing that you want to do, that your instinct is to either how do I get out or like I don't want to do anything. But then you don't want to feel this way anymore but you can't do anything. Yeah, well I, I mean I know lots, lots of people um, would just stay in bed, you know. Yeah. You just stay in bed and you sleep and you just... You lay there, I mean I've done it, where you just lay there and the hours go past and you're just still there, you know, there, there is nothing, it, it, it is a complete void in your life. For me there was, I, maybe I'm one of the lucky ones that I did have a couple of things that helped me through it, you know, having some good friends, great family, you know, people that were, you know, I'd, I'd have people calling me at three o'clock in the morning like, making sure that I was okay, just to, you know, get me through, just to make sure I was okay. I, I didn't think that's what it was. And I didn't sleep much. I mean, for, for all the hours I was working, I wasn't sleeping much. I was barely eating anything, you know. I, I, I was losing weight rapidly. So nothing was sustainable. All the energy I had was kind of nervous energy and it would eventually come to an end, but I was starting to get better by that point. Now, and I talk about this now that, you know, this is what worked for me is that this is the journey I went on and it can't, everyone has a different way of dealing with what they're going through. Hopefully there's one or two people that will find my story interesting and it, it will work for them. But why I've encouraged through Pilot Light for everyone to tell their story is because they're going to affect 
different people. Mm. So having a website where people share their stories, first of all, allows us to start knocking down that stigma that's attached to speaking out about mental health. Mm. If I do it and I encourage two more people to do it, if they do it and encourage four more people, then that carries on. And it's a slow journey, but that's what I want to do, is just talk about it. And any person that said to me, what can I do for Pilot Light, you know, I want to get involved. From, from my point, just talk about it. Yeah. Talk about mental health. Yeah. Because that's that's... That doesn't cost money, you don't need to fundraise to do that, you mm. just need to talk about mm, it. Mm. And if we can share experiences in a way that is, you know, much more, much more of a community thing, that we, we seem to have lost a lot about community, but being able to talk amongst your friends about, you know, people closer, do that to start with, get emotions out that way. It's quite difficult and widely known that it's harder sometimes for men, mm. or less likely for men to talk about their yep. feelings and things like that. So I think what you're doing with Pilot Light is really encouraging and helping helping sort of bridge that gap and making yeah. it feel easier for guys to be able to talk about that stuff because I think it's really important. Massively. I mean, look... Is it geared specifically at men or is it for in hospitality? No, it's, it's, it's for everyone. I, I mean, I wanted to just say there's a problem in, in the West and around the world. I'm not, I'm not excluding any... any part of the world but definitely in the west these things are on the rise you know there just happens to be more men working in kitchens and <clears throat> I, I felt my voice was loudest within a kitchen so it is hospitality and it is a bit more for chefs and yeah maybe the the, the male and the, the male suicide rate is an example of how we can't open up i think really i just want people to start talking about mental health i just do it from a, a chef point of view because that's where i'm more known but i'd also like to feel that if we can get behind it in hospitality and show other industries there's the, yeah, we've, we've got an industry that has had a, a bit of a hard time in the media. You know, there's always kind of negative news about maybe drug culture, bullying, yeah. the trunk system and paying, you know, the mm -hmm. tips and, and that kind of stuff and long hours. I just want to say, actually, look, that we recognise that there's a mental health issue with chefs sometimes. But here's what we're doing about it. Mm. And other industries can start following on from that, hopefully. What... Have you seen any direct actions that have sort of been put in place as a result of the impact from Pilot Light? I mean, so many people have come to me and our group, because Pilot Light isn't just me. Um, yeah. We've had some bigger, I think it's been nice to get so many big companies involved. So there's been a Soho House were the first to sign our pledge, Marriott Hotel Worldwide. They've just signed as well, and we've got a lot of interest from others you know having all the big guys on side it allows us to you know carry this a lot stronger around the the country and then it's easier for us to work with independent restaurants from yeah. there on yeah but just getting people involved at bigger companies that where you do become a bit of a number unfortunately i think from mm. as an employee you, you know you, you don't have a, a close relationship quite often with your, your bosses yeah. so i think from the start having those bigger companies saying look we want to do something within our hotels and restaurants and stuff i think it's a really good thing and it also highlights that it is actually recognized as a major yeah. issue yeah i think some of those bigger companies as well they're so fast-paced in terms of how they need to action things across their groups yeah that you know people can get lost in that system quite often so being able to say look okay we recognize this we want to make it right yeah. that's you know I'm, yeah. I'm so happy to hear that yeah that's really cool like what is your next big dream it's quite a big question next big dream I've got quite a lot this year I'm trying not to do too much because I feel like I've got a lot going on at the moment I mean there is pilot light there's the restaurant 
I'm trying to write a book, which I've been trying to write for a long time. It's the one thing I keep sacrificing because I feel that I have to be so hands-on with so many things. Mm -hmm. I would love to be able to get that written by the end of this year. Mm -hmm. What and is that book on? Well, it's about eating meat or eating less meat. Huh? Cool. But I've been penning away at this for a while. And I think that there was one point where I started writing a St. Leonard's cookbook and just realising, actually, I kind of need to keep those separated. Do you know what right, I mean? Right, yeah. I want to get this one done because it was the first idea. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about being known as a meat chef but not really eating a lot of meat. Right. And also the amount of Asian food where, you know, meat quite often is a seasoning or a garnish, but not kind of the Western meat and two veg situation mm -hmm. that we sometimes have. And it's just exploring traditional dishes as well as my own kind of take on things. I will get that written. I will get that written at some point. So that's a, a that, that's probably my next thing I really want to do. But I, I can't help it. I, you know, I feel like a single parent struggling with four unruly children at the moment <laughs> with the, you know, the, the different things I have on. And it's, yeah. it's tough. I don't want to spread myself too thin, but I don't think I'm necessarily doing the jobs well enough. So getting a bit of help on each one is going to be really good. And then, yeah. you know, I'll try and crack on with the things that that sounds like quite a lot to do anyway yeah. in, in the near future. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens. What would be your life hack? A life hack? So I've that, got, so well, no, no, I've got oh, a really good life hack. you actually do have a life hack. Okay. Well, following on from, and Iceland haven't paid me in any way. <laughs> oh my God. But, yeah, I'm um, like, can I, Iceland, can you please yeah, yeah. sponsor this podcast? <laughs> actually, I've called out. Called do, do you know what? It's, it's so funny because I, um, my dad loves the old, I don't know if you've, ever seen them but you get I mean Iceland is only one of the places I can find them conveniently I live opposite one so <laughs> but there's a brand called Mr Brains and they do faggots which are old country faggots like pork offal and pork mints yeah and a lot of other things you probably shouldn't eat in there to be fair they're not like making nice faggots yourself cool, yeah. but there's something again nostalgic about this particular brand like you, you know Heinz tomato ketchup or whatever for us having these brains faggots and they do brains faggots brains faggots is crazy so isn't it right? <laughs> sorry but you get two in a pack you get two in a pack and it's like 50 pence yeah. and it's frozen in all this sauce and uh <laughs> oh man it's complete student food i'm sorry but i i, I keep them in this my freezer because <laughs> <laughs> i keep them in my freezer to pimp up my fucking ramen noodles what? <laughs> And that's your <laughs> that's my life So, <laughs> yeah, it's like meatballs and spaghetti. It's great. <laughs> oh my god, amazing! Well, then I can kind of see your like the theme coming through. It's quite interesting when you see the food that comes out in your restaurant and like through your the photos that that you show and the nods to nostalgia and mm. to retro dishes, but then your modern take always intertwined yeah. in there. Well, look, I mean, yeah. as far as I'm concerned as well, that, you know, some of the funnest stuff comes from just not limiting the possibilities. If, for instance, sometimes you do the, the weirdest shit, I don't always eat bad. But I, I think you gotta, you got to have the guts to go there, yeah. right? Exactly. In order to see whether you want to go. Yeah, there and a lot of things don't work. I mean, you can yeah. try stuff and it doesn't work. Um, but quite often, you know, how would you know if you didn't? Exactly, exactly. What are three things that people can do if they are struggling with their mental health? Just read, I mean, firstly, Pilot Light website has a bunch of different people you can talk to. Uh, I mean, we're, we're very much about putting people in touch with, we're not a 
a charity and we're not the professionals, but we can direct people to the right places. If you can't talk to someone that you know, then you can talk to us. But, you know, definitely if there's serious trouble, you need to speak to like, Samaritans, you need to go and see a doctor. There are, uh, it's Mind, I think, uh, Time to Change, we work with them. So there are a lot of charities, there are websites, there are really in-depth support. What about, you know, a couple of things that you do when you're not like in the depths of depression, but you're kind of doing the day-to-day -day thing and you just kind of feel like you are having a bit of a down day or something. Do you know what I did? I, one of the things that also helped me get through what I was going through, I put up in my house everywhere, um, whether it be a screensaver, next to the bed, on the mirrors, but literally, I mean, I was living alone, so it was easy for me to just decorate my flat with handwritten notes I'd write, just to like, you know, keep going. The, 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 the Winston Churchill quote, but just lots of little things, just putting positive words. Yeah. yeah. And I can't even remember what I put. It wasn't like live, love, laugh or anything cheesy. <laughs> it was just like, you know, keep going. You're doing this. You've got this. Like, you know, just positive affirmations, like you say. But it just, using positive language, even when you're talking to people, and even, even if you have to force a smile, but smiling and laughing, and even whether you feel it or not, it's like you've just got to do things that you start putting your brain into a positive state. Because the fact is, shit's going to be thrown at you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You can handle it well, you can handle it bad. And I, that's all I ever did, is I just put my mind into a positive frame. And every now and then it does, does start slipping negative. And that's when I have to put a few exercises back in to stay, remain that. I've said to people before, you know, if you want a good body, you go to the gym, you exercise. If you want a good mind, you've got to keep it exercised. It's not, you know, you've just got to be in control of that. But it's hard to... Like any exercise, you know, it's not easy. You've got to start somewhere, though, and you can't have it, you know, it's not going to happen overnight either. And but I as long as it, you're doing something. Yeah, and I guess it kind of becomes a, a bit of a habit because then you can take away those stickers, but you still see you still see those words everywhere. Yeah, you well, know, that's it. It. Becomes, it becomes part of your life and your lifestyle and your way of thinking. And then yeah. when you slip back into it, you can put the, the signs back up. And, yeah, I, I, you know. and exactly what I do. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's yeah. just, uh, that's good. So you've got... Um, so the first one is go to Pilot Light, get directed to some professionals yeah. if it's you know if you're in kind of quite a state. Yeah. But something simple that you can do would be also to stick positive affirmations around your house. I think that's a really good one because I'm going to put these on the show notes as sure. well for people. And what would be a third one that's really you know really easy and simple to do? Because I feel like people get pushed away and they get discouraged when it's like it's so involved and like. You know, reaching out to someone professionally is, is probably quite a big step, and you would have mm. to be in a position to. Well, if you can't, I mean, again, it, going back to number one, it's just that if you can't speak to your family or your friends, but there, I mean, do I'm, think, I'm sure do there's someone doing you some, can. Some physical exercise or. Well, I would, I would personally say, yeah, I mean, exercise is fantastic. I really uh, champion meditation. Mm. Again, it's something that. Um, takes a while to get into. I mean, you probably take a month before you really start seeing a, a change, but it does put things into perspective and it calms you down. And, and it really is about calming the mind, being in control of the mind. Um, you know, I, I, I try to meditate twice a day and uh, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes at a time. 
But it is just putting your mind into a state where you can be in control of that. Yeah. It's just not allowing anything else in. You, you, you know, you've got complete control of just focus of of nothing. Nothing is perfect. Do you know what I mean? You're just calm, and I don't know. I start my day quite well doing that. I'm not an expert in it either. I'm still on that journey. So people that say that you know I can't do it, I've tried. It's like try every day. Yeah. Just keep doing it. Yeah. Because one day it will drop. And like, you know, let's say I'm not perfect at it, but I'm on that journey. And being on that journey is exciting. That's amazing. We didn't talk much about your music on this, oh, but I can always put it on the bottom of the show notes. I'm really, really happy that you're here and doing such great stuff for, you know, for the industry and in both not only in the chefing world, but for Pilot Light as well. Yeah. yeah. Where can people go to find you, your restaurants, and then also Pilot Light? Well, I'm always... Uh based at St. Leonard's in Shoreditch, so I'm here most of the time. But www.pilotlightcampaign.co.uk, I think, is that one? But they can find you on Instagram. Instagram, on... Fleur de Lys, L, uh, LDN. Cool, and I will put them on the show notes so that yeah. everyone can go follow you. <laughs> come follow and... <laughs> And come to your restaurant. Yeah, come to the restaurant. Try your food and and keep coming back. Yeah, amazing. What was the music that you were into? Is it metal? Metal. I still am. I'm still in a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like we play kind of doomy, stonery metal. Does that have a any link or like does it have any social media presence? We will. We will. We are actually debuting in October when we're doing a full tour in October. What are you called? Kandahar Giant. And that's pretty much it. I just wanted to also say. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. I hope you had fun. It's great fun, yeah, yeah. I had a really good time talking to you. It's good. I mean, it's also (laughs) nice to be able to... Thanks for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you were inspired or learned something or want to find out more, head over to thegirlinthecafe.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you'll be able to link to everything here at Love What You Do Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes because it helps this podcast's ranking so that more people can learn and enjoy the contents of the show. Have an awesome week, guys, and I'll be here with a coffee in hand to have more insightful conversations with my next inspiring guest. Oh,